You're listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dulavan Barwari. This episode features a discussion with Mr. Matthew Zayas, the former Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of International Affairs at the Department of Energy. He's currently serving as the Vice President of Government Relations at HKN Energy. Previously, Matt served as Iraq Director at the Trump White House National Security Council for two years, after a two-decade career as a U.S. Army officer. But first, here's a brief news update on the latest developments in Kurdistan and Iraq. With the Iraqi parliamentary election scheduled for October 10th, official election campaigns have taken center stage across the Kurdistan region and Iraq. Although Kurdish parties are fully engaged in the campaigns in order to secure a strong representation in Baghdad, Kurdish officials are concerned about election outcomes in disputed areas between the KRG and the Iraqi government because of questions over inclusiveness and voter fraud. Turning to Kurdistan. Today marks the fourth anniversary of the Kurdistan region's referendum on independence, where 92.7% of participants voted in favor of statehood. On another front, decentralizing administrative powers has been on the KRG's agenda for some time now. In late July, the Council of Ministers approved a proposal to make Soran, a district in Erbil province, and Zaho, a district in Duhok province, into autonomous administrations. The reason behind creating new autonomous administrations is to facilitate economic development and reduce bureaucracy in order to make things easier for citizens. Prime Minister Masoud Barzani officially inaugurated Soran and Zaho as independent administrations in the Kurdistan region on September 14th and 20th, respectively. On the international front, Kurdistan region president Nechirvan Barzani paid an official visit to the United Kingdom, meeting top UK officials including Prime Minister Boris Johnson, the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss, and the Secretary of Defense Ben Wallace. As tweeted by President Barzani, the two sides discussed ways to improve and strengthen bilateral ties, deepen the UK's support to the Kurdistan region, as well as discussing regional stability and other pressing issues. President Barzani also met with and congratulated Nadim Zahawi, who was announced as the UK's new Secretary of Education during his visit to London. Zahawi is the first British Kurd to hold a cabinet position in the UK. Pivoting to the new economic developments in Kurdistan. On September 20th, Prime Minister Masoud Barzani laid the foundation stone for a wheat marketing project in Semel district in Dohok province. The project includes a silo, warehouses, and agricultural production plants on 500 donums of land. On another front, Donna Gas signed a financing agreement worth $250 million with the American International Development Finance Corporation to expand the Hormor gas field in the Kurdistan region. The financing will help increase production capacity by 50%, which will help meet the demand for clean natural gas to generate electricity in the region. On the security and humanitarian front, two people have been hospitalized following a Turkish airstrike on Herur village in Duhok province on September 19. Ankara says is pursuing the PKK, but its attacks on villages in Kurdistan region and Sinjar district have resulted in casualties and damage to the property of people who have nothing to do with the PKK. The KRG continues to urge both sides to consider the plights of innocent citizens. Turning to the KRG representations activities in the U.S. A delegation from the Ministry of Peshmerga Affairs, 
led by Deputy Minister Sarbas Lezgin, came to Washington last week as part of an Iraqi security sector group that took part in a program at the National Defense University. While in Washington, the delegation briefed the KRG representation in the U.S. on the latest security developments in Kurdistan and Iraq and the ongoing Peshmerga reforms. Also last week, Representative Bayasami Abdurrahman and Dana Stroll, the Department of Defense Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Middle East, had an in-person meeting where they discussed the security situation in the Kurdistan region and Iraq and the continued cooperation among the Peshmerga, Iraqi security forces, and the coalition forces fighting against ISIS terrorists. And this week, KRG representative Bayan Sami Abdurrahman met with Jen Gavido, the newly appointed Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Iraq and Iran. In their virtual meeting, they discussed progress in the Peshmerga reform program, the importance of credible elections in Iraq, and the Sinjar Agreement. Ending the news update with culture. Earlier this month, the New York Kurdish Film Festival completed its fifth year with primary focus on Kurdish women and their contribution to the development of feminism, human rights, literature, and an egalitarian society. The event was organized by its founder, New York-based educator and human rights activist, Khayal Kartel. Again, I'm your host, Dulavan Barwari, and you're listening to Kurdistan in America, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in the United States. And now, the interview with Matt Sayes, the former Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of International Affairs at the Department of Energy. Welcome to the Kurdistan in America podcast. Let's begin our discussion with your previous roles. You served for over two decades as a career U.S. Army officer, including tours in Iraq, two years at the Trump White House National Security Council as Iraq Director, and most recently as the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for Office of International Affairs at the Department of Energy. First, tell us a bit about your work on Kurdistan and Iraq, especially while you were at the Department of Energy. Also, the Kurdistan region's oil and gas sector, was it on your radar? So I would just uh, like to say thank you, Delavan, for for having me here today on the Kurdistan America podcast. It's a pleasure and honor to join you and uh, and to represent uh, the United States in, in various roles from the past. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you. I would say that um, my work at the, on Kurdistan Iraq, uh, especially at the Department of Energy, as you as you asked, I think really began oh, well before then when I when I helped uh, author the Army's. Uh, history of the Iraq war. And then subsequently when I, when I served as the Iraq director on the national security council, and that's really where, uh, the oil and gas sector came on my radar because, uh, at the national security council, we realized that the, that Iraq's energy challenges were front and center for some of its security challenges. Um, and so when I was at Curtis, when I was at the national security council, we really focused on how we could support Iraq. Uh, capturing its natural gas, becoming more energy independent, uh, because it really is a fairly unique country um, in in the amount of resources it has, yet the dependence it, it it still maintains on its on its neighbors for energy. What we used to call it was an artificial energy uh, dependence on Iran, uh, because it it doesn't need to be dependent, but but because of the lack of development, uh, it it really still is. Um, and so that's when it really came on my radar. And it, but when I moved over to the Department of Energy, my, my scope expanded quite significantly from being focused on Iraq and the Kurdistan region 
to a, re a really a global perspective um, at the department on and in how the United States advocates for energy diplomacy uh, worldwide. But I didn't lose focus on 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 the importance of Iraq and the importance of the of, of the U.S. Uh, relationship both with Iraq and the Kurdistan region. And so so my work uh, continued to focus uh, at the Department of Energy on, on Iraq and its energy challenges. Now, did the U.S. government have any information on the oil fields prior to the exploration in Kurdistan? Do you mean like um, before 2007? Yeah, before 2007, before the KRG actually started exploring. Yeah, I think that there was always uh, there was always a belief that the Kurdistan region held uh, held significant reserves um, in many, many of the ways that uh, that federal Iraq does. Um, and I think that everyone was looking for an opportunity, or lots of folks were looking for opportunities to help help Iraq and the Kurdistan region develop those resources. Um, and I think uh, following the war, that that window of opportunity opened. Yeah, that's very interesting. Now, in the early stages of the Kurdistan region's oil and gas exploration and development, the U.S. had reservations on the KRG's oil sales. Has that policy changed in recent years? If so, how has it changed? So that's a that's, that's a that's a tough question, Delvan. But I will try to summarize. Um, so you have to remember that when a lot of the companies uh, that are currently operating in the in the Kurdistan region entered into their production sharing contracts, the war, the war in Iraq was, was full, was full, full on. I mean, in 2007, we're talking about the period in which the U S government was surging forces, which we call the surge in Iraq. At the same time, companies were looking to invest in the Kurdistan region because it was a, a place of stability, uh, within a country that was, it was wrought by conflict and counter and, and insurgency. And so these companies did look to invest in the, in the Kurdistan region because because the opportunities were there, it was an attractive investment environment with, with significant uh, potential reserves. Um, and so I think what we, we what we saw though was as the war progressed, as as the U.S. U.S. left Iraq, um, and and as as the Iraqi government was finding its feet, uh, there was some significant political turmoil between the with by then the Maliki government and the Kurdistan region on on budget transfers and the allocation that are, that the, that the Kurdistan region was going to receive. And at the same time, you had an entire sector in the Kurdistan region that was now developing oil and it needed a place to export it. Um, and so that ended up being through the Iraqi-Turkey pipeline uh, the, out to, uh, through Turkey to the port of Jehan. But at the time, I think uh, the U.S. was focused on trying to support the Maliki government. And I think we could all look back and, and, and criticize and be very, or, or be very critical of that support, given what we now know of what Maliki did as, as prime minister and the sectarian strife he really drove. Uh, but at the time, I think the United States was trying to shore up the federal government, and the KRG oil sales and the KRG oil exports was almost a casualty of that. However, that issue is still hasn't gone away, because what you have is you have a very attractive investment environment reflected in the fact that now the Kurdistan region produces almost 500,000 barrels a day of oil, and it exports that through Turkey. Uh, but as we know, the the debates between Baghdad and Erbil on the on the budget, which is is debated annually now, are still not fully solved. And we see today that the budget of 2021 is still not fully implemented. And I think one could safely say that 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 oil revenues and 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 how those are apportioned uh, it remains at the center of the debate. That's a great analysis on the oil and gas history and industry in Kurdistan region. Certainly fascinating. 
Now let's pivot to your current role as the Vice President of Government Relations at HKN Energy. HKN has been operating in Kurdistan, the Sarsink block, since 2007. The blocks include Swaratika and East Swaratika fields. Tell us about your operations. So Delvan, we have, uh, as you noted, we've been, we've, been, uh, we've been in the block since 2007. And we are a proud commercial partner with the, uh, with the Kurdistan Regional Government and the Ministry of Natural Resources. And currently we have uh, eight, eight producing wells. Actually, we're drilling some wells right now. We just finished uh, the ninth and 10th well, uh, the 10th well yesterday, um, coincidentally. And we are, we'll be drilling two more before the end of this year. So we'll end up having uh, 12 total wells uh, uh, by the end of this year. Eight of those will be producing, and by next year, those 12 will be producing. So right now, we, have, we are producing between 31,000 and 32,000 barrels a day. And we, we are also in the middle of constructing our 25,000 barrel a day expansion facility, which includes large storage tanks. And that, that's uh, partly due to the U.S. Development and Finance Corporation uh, loan that we received um, that is financing that, that expansion project. So when that comes online next summer, we will transition from producing 31,000 barrels a day to almost 55,000 barrels a day. Very interesting. Now, there was a recent, I believe, a decree or so by the Ministry of Natural Resources for the gas flares. And there's a deadline to stop burning the gas flares and converting into energy. What are your thoughts on that? So I think, I think in principle, I think the, the directive is good um, in that the Kurdistan regional government recognizes, just like the Iraqi government does, that uh, there, there needs to be a solution on um, dealing with flared gas, not only from an environmental perspective, but also because it's a wasted resource that can be used for, uh, for, for, for other purposes like producing power. Um, I think and from our perspective, the 18 month uh, declaration, it's, it was probably more of a signal than, 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 than something that can really be put into place practically, just because every field is unique. Um, I, but what I think what really is gonna be, have to follow up is a, a, is a really a comprehensive strategic plan by the Ministry of Natural Resources uh, for for how it's going to handle its gas, uh, producing a market-based uh, uh, pricing um, and a plan to produce and to develop the infrastructure that's going to be necessary. But like I said, um, Delvan, every every field is different. Every field has different um, chemical properties, H2S, um, that has to be treated, uh, and so each each field's gas situation is different. For HKNs, we are closer, closer to the hook, and so our plan has always been, and we have always been in discussions with a number of, of, of potential investment partners to capture the gas from the Sarsang block uh, to facilitate its its delivery to the Dohuk power plant, and so that it could provide Dohuk, the Dohuk power plant with natural gas that would that would then replace the burning of heavy fuel oil. Um, so that's what uh, that's what our plan is, and uh, and I think large, large more looking more broadly, um, I think a lot of the IOCs are looking forward to working with the MNR as it tries to roll out a strategic gas plan that's really going to tackle what I what I noted was the market uh, for 
for how gas is going to be priced and then the infrastructure that's going to come along to help that happen. Because look, if the Kurdish region is able to do this, they're going to be able to produce enough gas to satisfy domestic demand and have enough reserves on hand to provide exports to both to the south, to federal Iraq, and to export to Turkey. Another great analysis and a valuable advice. Now, my final question about HKN is that what are some of the challenges that the company has experienced? Um, I think I think our main challenges is is how we operate in a in a very uncertain environment. Um, you know, being a being a company that has to make sound financial decisions on where it invests its money to to continue its production and expansion always is a calculation on risk and reward. And our challenges, I think, are principally uh, that the financial environment remains a bit uncertain in the Kurdistan region, particularly, as I noted before, and, and, the, and the challenge with, the, uh, with the, um, the budget agreement between Baghdad and Erbil, but also just on how the, how the government is really going to approach the, the oil and gas sector in the future and what its strategic plan is going to be both for, for, oil, for, for oil and gas expansion and, and as I noted, the gas, a gas strategy and a gas market. Um, so I think the, the biggest challenge for us is, is how, do, how, do we, how do we help the KRG, how do we partner with them uh, the most effectively to, uh, to ensure that the KRG remains on a, on a slope that looks like a country that continues to attract, or not a country, but a region uh, within Iraq that continues to attract investment um, and increases its production. Very interesting. Now you're following the oil and gas sector in Kurdistan very closely, of course. Is the KRG's oil and gas law attractive enough for companies to invest in Kurdistan, for foreign companies to invest in Kurdistan? Um, I think, I think as we can see today, that there is a range of companies that are willing to invest in the Kurdistan region and continue to do so. Um, I'm not, I don't know that the, the oil and gas law uh, is, is either deterring or attracting companies anymore, but I think it's really going to be the case of, of the degree to which the Kurdistan government and the Ministry of Natural Resources continues to make policies that attract further investment. Um, there was a period of time there when it looked like Kurdistan region was the most attractive place in Iraq to invest because we saw some of the major IOCs leaving federal Iraq and making decisions to leave, like like Exxon and, and, and potentially Chevron. But that seems to be reversing a little bit now with, with the new Minister of Oil. And as we saw recently, the signing of the large deal, I think it was $27 billion with Total, that's gonna look like it's gonna, it's gonna include everything from renewable energy projects with a giant solar field to also expanding its, 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 its oil uh, production and also trying to tackle Iraq's significant gas capture plants. So in that regards, you know, some of the majors are actually doubling down in federal Iraq. And so I think the question, one question for the Kurdistan regional government is how can it reattract some of the majors and, and also encourage some of us smaller companies to continue to want to invest and operate in Iraq? Um, and it's a, tough, it's a tough juggling act, particularly when there's a lot of questions that, uh, that, the, that the region has to contend with of having to make salary payments, um, how much, how much uh, budget allocation Baghdad's going to provide, What's the what's the long term outlook of the Iraqi Turkey pipeline and the arbitration case today? There's just a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of challenges but there's also lots of opportunities and i think the challenge for the carriage is going to be how to how to maximize those opportunities and minimize the challenges you answered part of my next question but here it is how do international companies like hkn view the disputes between erbil and baghdad on kurdistan's energy sector I think that uh, I think it adds a level, like I noted before, that it adds a level of uncertainty that 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 I think affects that affects the investment climate. Um, I mean, ideally, ideally, the budget arrangement between the KRG and and the, and the federal government is durable and sustainable. I think there's some troubling signs in Baghdad, uh, um, and I can just highlight a few. I think some of the signs that are troubling is that. Um, even without a budget agreement passed by parliament, the the federal budget continues to get implemented uh, across Iraq on a monthly basis, um, whether or not there's a budget law. So we saw this right in, 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 in we saw this last year, we saw this this year. The, the, the budget continues to get implemented month by month, except for the Kurdistan region. Uh, I think one of the problems we see is that the budget allocation from Baghdad to Erbil has to be a deliberate process and decision that the prime minister has to take and not someone something that's automatic like the rest of the federal government uh, budget and i think i think the budget implementation in baghdad has to has to rectify this i think another troubling indicator that we can see is 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 is, uh, is how the iraqi security iraq the iraqi government uh, budgets for its security forces um, i think uh, I, I think everyone could agree that the increase in the the Hashishabi, the PMF budget, was troubling, uh, particularly in a year of COVID when at the same time they reduced the budget for the Ministry of Health. Um, and also at a time when none of those budget dollars are actually going towards the, the security, the, the budgeting for the, the Peshmerga of the Kurdistan region. And so we know that the, Kurd- the Peshmerga are a critical security partner for the United States and for the Iraqi government. But for some reason, we have this budget agreement in which the federal government uh, doesn't, doesn't uh, um, financially support the Peshmerga, and instead the United States has had to step in. And so I think those are signs in which the government, the, the, the federal budget process has some significant fissures and issues with it that have to be, have to be rectified. Um, and I think that the oil and gas sector is, is part of that problem because um, the, the, the Kurdistan region ha- has attracted investment. And as I noted earlier at, the, at, at our discussion, the Kurdistan region has gone from producing zero barrels a day to almost 500,000 barrels a day. And the federal government has to rest, wrestle with uh, how, does it, how does it account for, the, for, the, for those revenues. Um, and I would say that it's, it's a double-edged sword because those revenues are what has kept the KRG government financially afloat in the absence of budget transfers to, to the Kurdistan region. I mean, as we've seen this year, uh, the Kurdistan region went almost 11 months without a budget transfer from Baghdad, and the only thing that kept it afloat was a oil and gas, a robust oil and gas sector uh, that was there because it, it because the because the region recognized that it had to attract investment with it, with attractive production sharing contracts. So I know that's a long answer for uh, for the question, but um, but I think that's sort of how we see the see the environment today. Now, finally, with your experience in the military, in government, and now in the private sector. Do you have any advice for the KRG on the oil and gas sector? <laughs> uh, Delmon, I'd be ha- I'd be I'd be reluctant to give any advice. Um, I would say that uh, I would say that 
the fact that there's companies that continue to operate in iraq and and the kurdistan region is is recognition that companies like it like ours and facing the united states continue to value the u.s partnership with iraq and the kurdistan region very highly and it's something that we need to preserve and i think that uh um private investment is 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 a core component of that partnership uh you know look we have we operate an oil field in in the kurdistan region of iraq where we are the only oil company that has u.s government financing and that financing is, is is producing an expansion facility that's being partially built by a Turkish subcontractor. I mean, that's a pretty it's a pretty uh, remarkable story on on the development of the region um, and 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 the role that the private sector plays there. And so, I think more of this type of, of private sector engagement and growth for, for for Iraq and the region can only can only help things. And I think. I think if I were to offer any advice is that all policies have to look through that lens. Is it going to connect the region, the Kurdistan region and the federal government to, to regional and global markets? Is it going to raise the GDP? Is it going to raise the quality of life of the, of the, of the citizens? And I think if, if, if the answer is yes, then I think it's probably policies that they should pursue. And if the answer is no, then it probably are probably policies that it should. So I think that's, uh, that's how I'd answer that question, Delma. Very well said. Now we've reached the final segment of the interview where we ask our guests the same three questions. The first question is, when was the first time you heard about Kurdistan? I think the first time I heard about Kurdistan when I was, when I was watching, the, watching the news in high school about uh, what was happening in northern Iraq um, and the implementation of the northern no-fly zone. Uh, that, that was part of uh, provide operation provide comfort, and I think that was the first time I realized that there was this beleaguered region uh, in northern Iraq and southern Turkey uh, of peoples who were who were continue, uh, continually persecuted over centuries, and I think that's when I finally realized what Kurdistan was the first time, and then when I returned to Iraq, uh, when I not when I returned, when I went to Iraq the first time was during the uh, was the U.S. invasion during Iraq when I was a member of the 101st Airborne Division. And I eventually, we, we wound our way from, from Kuwait, obviously, to, to Najaf and Karbala. Uh, we had a detour out in Aditha, and then I ended up in Mosul. And that was when I really sort of came front and center with, 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 with Kurdistan and Kurds because the Peshmerga had just vacated the sector that my company and my battalion operated in, in, in uh, western Mosul. And so that was really the first time I heard about Kurdistan. And I think one of the first stories I remember was when we were I was operating in my sector in western Mosul. And, and at the time, it was a very pluralistic uh, city. Uh, on some of my streets, we had a Christian neighborhood. You could easily have a Sunni and a Shia and a Kurd living on the same street. But I remember one of the first problems that was brought to me was the fact that the Shia and the Kurds had a title to their house and the Kurds didn't. And then I had the opportunity to drive, uh, to drive up to Dahuk and cross the, uh, cross the border between the federal Iraq and the Kurdistan region. And that's really where it struck me what Kurdistan really was. Um, so it's a long answer to, a, to, a, to, to your question, Delmon. Very interesting answer. I experienced Iraq for the first time myself with the U.S. Army. So. And where was this? In 2003 until 2005, I was with uh, I was a DoD contractor, so I, I went through Baghdad and, and into Kirkuk and Erbil and Duhok. 
Yeah, and then I my my uh, I had some friends who uh, who parachuted into Kirkuk that were part of the 173rd, um, and so I, that's when I really understood uh, uh, Kirkuk. And and I remember them jumping in. Everyone saying it was actually a peaceful area, and uh, and the recognition that it was it was sort of out of the out of the sphere of influence. But um, but yeah, that's very interesting. Actually, my first time into Kurdistan was with a USC-130 from Baghdad into the Erbil, uh, the Ankawa airfield at the time. There was no airport, but airfield. Oh, yeah, out in Ankawa, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the second question is, what is a word or phrase that sums up Kurdistan for you? I think what comes to my mind, Elvan, is uh, hopeful and resilient. I think the people of, of Kurdistan have clearly and historically demonstrated its resilience and its, its, its hopefulness for its future. And finally, what is a word or phrase that sums up America for you? <laughs> I would say, uh, I would say the, the word that, that comes to mind first is freedom, but that's a little cliche. I think when I think about America, I think about freedom, but I think about a very divided freedom um, and a question of the United, uh, within our United States about what, what are our values and what was our country founded on and what are the, what are the, what are the values that we want uh, our country to, to, to retain going forward? Well, thank you so much for the lovely interview. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Delvan. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you for listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in Washington, D.C. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on either Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. Also, for more information about the Kurdistan region, please visit our website at www.us.gov.krd or follow us on Twitter at krg_usa.